Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club Podcast, bringing you the latest news, updates, and buzz surrounding the mighty JSU Tigers. I'm your host, the Corey C. And as always, I'm joined by a distinguished group of cohorts. But first things first, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review the shows, and follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook. It all helps the cause, which is the I love, Jackson State University. Joining me tonight, we're bringing the band back together. We have Charles, Mike, and Vic. What up, guys? What's going on? What up, Corey? All right, we have the original crew. Uh, we did a couple shows without a couple of them, and I think they missed us, so they, they wanted back in. So welcome back, folks. <laughs> Appreciate back. coming uh, back. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So you guys get a chance to, uh, to listen to the shows that we did without you, Just listen to the recruiting episode. Yeah, great info. Great info. Really enjoyed it. Just guys talking around the tailgate. Absolutely, absolutely. And we want to stick with that theme. Obviously, it's uh, you know recruiting season. We have signing day coming up in less than a week. And uh, like I said, we're looking to bring in a, a, a nice group of, of up-and-coming Tigers. And today, let's just have a roundtable discussion. I want to talk about recruiting just in general, just the landscape of, of recruiting, not only at Jackson State, but just throughout HBCU football. Uh, you know, I want to start with okay. just, you know, the challenges that we face at Jackson State when it comes to recruiting, because there are some challenges, you know, nothing that we can't overcome, but right. let's just talk through it and, and you know, see what, where we can go and how, how we can improve. So what do you think are some challenges that are unique to JSU versus some other SWAC schools or HBCU schools or even FCS programs? All right. I, I'll step in well, here. Um, I, I think um, – you know, not to cut you off, Charles, but I think being in Mississippi, it's kind of one of those scenarios where, you know, the same thing makes you laugh, make you cry. You know, being in Mississippi, we have um, a lot of JUCO talent, a lot of JUCO programs that compete nationally. They bring a lot of kids in and they recruit the area of Mississippi very hard. So, you know, with that being said, a lot of these kids in Mississippi, they are, their, their mentality is Power 5 or SEC or bus. So you'll see them turn down an opportunity to play at a JSU or an Alcorn or Valley to go JUCO to just to have the hopes of playing at an SEC school in, in two years. So I see a lot of HBCUs not having to deal with that. You know, kids in uh, you know Alabama, North Carolina, A&T, they don't really have to, you know, deal with that kind of, um, you know, that kind of competition. So we've seen kids leave JSU even after enrolling. Some yeah, kids, they'll, they'll, they'll come that's in. And, you know, we had one kid came in and enrolled just, enrolled and you know, just walked right out the dorm room and went down to Colleen. And wow. It's happened a lot of times. Now, is it tampering? Uh, could be. Possibly they shouldn't be doing that. But at the same time, we can't just make that accusation because ultimately we're going to come back to that program looking to recruit Jugo players off wow, their team. Yeah. So it so kind of puts us in that situation. <laughs> right, right. So yeah. we have to maintain that relationship. So, you know, I mean, was your coach talking to our kid after he enrolled? Like, hey, come down here. You know, we think you're an ACC kind of kid, but, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it didn't work out. It was a numbers game. So come play here for two years and you'll get to that ACC program. Sometimes it happens, but a lot of time it does not. But what I've seen, you know, you talked about a kid who enrolled and and left right away. But even after, even if they play a full season, we've seen where kids played a full full season at Jackson State and they left after their freshman year. So it's like you have to recruit a kid, get him on campus and continue to recruit him and make him want to stay. Uh, or, you know, not leave for junior college. So that's definitely a challenge. Yeah, I I mean, I can piggyback on what you're saying, Mike, because in terms of of, of the number of JUCOs in in Mississippi, and I I don't think there is another state that can uh, more or less say uh, in Mississippi, there are at least three 
four and sometimes five nationally ranked right. JUCOs. And I just think that is superbly unique uh, to the state of Mississippi. And I don't think other uh, FCS programs or, or HBCUs uh, have that sort of uh, issue in terms of recruiting. And Mike, like you said, you know, kids, you know, they, they look towards the JUCO to try to get to that power five school. And a lot of times we see it just doesn't happen. Uh, we see guys enroll in Jackson State there for a year and all of a sudden, you know, they're off to a JUCO, you know, still kind of chasing the power five, you know, sort of uh, dream, if right. you will. So I think that's a unique challenge. It's not a, it's not one that can't be overcome, but I think that is something extremely unique to the state of Mississippi. So, so what are the selling points that we have, not only to get the kid initially, but you know, as I said, to, to keep the kid once they're, they're on campus? What, how can we, you know, do that? What are our selling points? I think my biggest selling point, and I think you see this around uh, a lot of uh, uh, FBS programs, is they constantly sell their history, their right. lineage. Uh, if they have a, a, a productive football program, and of course, you know, everybody knows Walter Payton, uh, the four Hall of Famers, are Robert Brazil, Jackie Slater, Lynn Barney, but you also need to know uh, Roscoe Word. You need to know Dennis Connor, Darian Connor, Cammie Collins. You need to know Sean Woodson, William Arnold, Destry Wright. You, you know, there are a, a tremendous number of great players that have played for Jackson State, that have had a shot at the pros. And I think that is a constant selling point that you have to be able to emphasize. You have to know your program in so, and out. I agree, but this is the, the issue that I have with that. These kids, you know, it's, it's 2020, and those guys played so long ago. There's a gap. You know, when I when I was going to college, Walter Payton was a name that resonated, and, you know, it was even Lombardi because they hadn't, you know, it was, they had been recently been at Jackson State. But we're talking about, a, you know, a 40-, 60-year gap <laughs> since those players played. Is that Does that name stand out to a kid nowadays? So yeah, I think there was a gap where we kind of, you know, lost that pipeline of sending players to the NFL and having those big names. So I don't know if that's where we kind of lost some luster. But well, I, I think to I think to to let me let me uh, answer that, Corey. In terms of looking at that, I mean, let's take a look at a program like a Miami. They that they, they are huge on speaking on their guys that have played for Miami. They never stop inviting no, them around, right. things of I that agree. nature. So so I, I just think that that is just a constant selling point that you know you bring back, you keep that lineage around your program. And you sort of wear that crown, and you and you enjoy wearing that crown, and you speak right. on so, it. So crown. there's the disconnect right there, uh, you know. And I think Vic spoke about it on our first episode, just you know, celebrating those past players and champions, and just you know, keeping that open line of communication, that invitation to where you know it's like when they leave, they're they're constantly coming back every year. And Miami is like the prime example. Those guys are, you know, they're 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 just Miami, Miami, Miami. Back at all the games, and you know, whether they played 40 years ago or 60 years ago, the kids there know them and remember them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, and I I think too that one of our selling points is is just is just us. Some of these guys they want a big game feel. You know, uh, a lot of HBCUs can't offer them that. A lot of the FCS programs can't offer them that. But I think that when you look at a team like Jackson State, and you see the, the types of games that we have in our atmosphere, I think that uh, that puts us at the at the top of of some of these kids' lists. Great, that's a great point, Vic. <laughs> I mean, you take a look at our fan base. We show up, we show up in droves, and it, you will get a big game atmosphere because, you know, Jackson State, Blue Bingo Nation, they hit the road. 
you know, and, and I think that's another huge selling point. You got a fan base that really cares. Now, in, in order to, you know, to, to get those kids, and, you know, we talk about what the selling points are, but at the end of the day, I think it comes down to the person doing the recruiting, the coach that's going out there recruiting. So re- even if we have those selling points, what does it take to, for a coach to be a gr- good recruiter? What makes a good recruiter? You know, guys, I, I don't know if you remember the, the article that just came out on Coach Tamika Reed, but to me, it, it spoke volumes in terms of the way she stayed dogged after a player she wanted. Even when it looked like that player uh, was was done playing basketball, uh, she continued to stay in contact with her. And to me, that is the essence of uh, a great recruiter, somebody who just has built a rapport, keeps the rapport, and uh, and it kind of keeps that relationship in place. And, and she mentioned in the article that, you know, even without the, the sport of basketball, uh, it was the relationship that she remembered. And eventually she came back. So to me, that is the essence of a great recruit. Yeah, and you have to also know exactly what you want your team to look like. If you're going to go out and recruiting, you have to make sure that you are looking for the type of player that you want to fill those spots. Uh, because, if you have a system in place and you put the wrong people out there, then you may have some great talent. But if that talent isn't fit for that system, then have you done a good job recruiting? Right. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, one another important trait is you have to be a, a closer. You know, a coach has to be, because if you're a recruiter, you're basically a salesman. So you have to be able to uh, adapt to situations, assess situations. When you go into a kid's home, uh, notice their parents, you know, notice body language know how to emphasize your program. If there's something negative about your program, learn how to spin it, make it a positive. But most importantly, you have to have an end in mind. You know, just, just like Vic said, you have to have that vision. You have to have that intent. You can't go and recruit uh, a square peg to put in a circular hole. You got to figure out exactly what kind of defense you want to run. If you're running this three, three, five, you know, you need this kind of defensive end or this kind of linebacker to uh, make that, make that formation flow well and, and make it, make it, Making a good a good system for for your for your team. So uh, that to me, those those are the, really the, the main things you need to make a good recruiter. Just being a good closer and having a vision for your program. Right now, now, but let me ask you this: now, in, in addition to being a good recruiter, because you know there's obviously just a trend that I see with HBCU programs. A lot of the more successful ones are bringing in transfers. Now, back in the day, we can say back in the the old days, <laughs> that wasn't the case because because we got to stop fight out. We got the top flight athletes, but obviously over a period of time, you know, we know what happened. We, we, we're not landing them like we used to. So we're kind of you know, falling on or kind of relying on transfers. But what is the right mix of transfers to high school signees for your typical HBCU? When it comes to when it comes to transfers, um, I think that you really have to just look at what you have at that point. Um, I don't think there's really a, a such thing as a right mix but um, when you need an infusion of talent, then you have to, have to bring those transfers in. And sometimes it's a, it's a glaring need for things. And trying to come in with Frank is mm. just not going to work. You know, so when you know that you really That's need to, uh, to build up a unit and you really need to go out and, and, and put some talent right there, some experienced talent right there, I think that that right there tells you when you need to go and get transfers. Right, right. Yeah, I mean – Great point. I think every school is probably unique. I talked to Coach Sam Washington with uh, North Carolina A&T, and they're, they're not ones who, who kind of go to the transfer portal. Their, their program is up and running. They go in, they bring in freshmen, and they grow. Uh, 
and I, I'm sure that's where everybody wants their program to be at. So I, probably every school is unique in terms of what is the right mix of, of what do you need. But I think that's a great point that you make, Vic, in terms of uh, sometimes you might have a glaring need uh, where you need an infusion of talent. And if that person is available, you do go after Absolutely. Right. Yeah. All right. Agreed. Agreed. And having said that, we have signing day coming up uh, just in a couple of days, as I said at the top of the show. And uh, Jackson State will be holding a signing day event. Charles, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, let's talk about this signing day event next Wednesday, February 5th, guys. And it will be at the M-Bar Sports Grill in Jackson. Uh, Jackson State is excited to announce 2020 uh, signing day event with Coach John Hendrick and admission is ten dollars uh again that will be at the m bar which is at 6340 ridgeway court drive in jackson so that event will be from 7 to 9 p.m you get a chance uh, like mike said to see what's under the christmas tree for jackson state football <laughs> absolutely absolutely also i know uh coming up in a few weeks as well we're gonna have a blue and white week at jackson state uh charles can you tell us about that so let's take a look at Blue and White Week, which is the week of March 30th through April 4th. Uh, Jackson State Athletics has a number of, of events, and we'll start with Monday, March 30th. It'll be the Jackson State Falcony versus the Greeks in a basketball game. Tuesday is hashtag Giving Tuesday, uh, where they're asking uh, people to look at giving the Jackson State Athletics March 31st. Wednesday, it is the annual student athlete banquet, which is invite only in the student center ballroom. Uh, Thursday, this is a huge one. It is the second annual Ashley Robinson Golf Tournament. Get your clubs, guys. Uh, that will be at Lake Carolyn Golf Course in Madison, Mississippi. Shotgun start at 8.30 a.m. Uh, you also will have USA Football First Down Camp, which will be at the Jackson State Practice Field uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. on that Thursday. Friday, April 3rd, will be the Spring Taste of the First Time Students Admitted for Fall 2020 and a Blue and White weekday party, 4th Avenue Lounge. That'll be from 2 to 7. And then that night, JSU Legends Banquet, presented by the JSU Tiger Fund at the Jackson Marriott downtown. That will be at 7 p.m. That leads us into Saturday, April 4th, which is the 14th annual Sweetness 5K Run and Walk. It will start at the Walter Payton Recreation and Wellness Center at 8 a.m. Uh, Jackson State will also be having a tennis match that day. Uh, tennis, uh, where they will take on Xavier, and that will be at the JSU Athletics Tennis Court at 12 p.m. You'll also have a Jackson State Fan Fest that will be going on simultaneously at Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium in Lot A from 12 to 2. And then at 2 o'clock, it is the alumni flag football game. Get a chance to see some of those JSU legends. Hopefully they won't pop a hamstring. But you'll have the JSU alumni flag football game. And that leads us to the annual blue and white game. That will be at the bet at 4 p.m. on Saturday, April 4th. So we'll we'll keep you abreast on everything going on the week of blue and white week. But uh, a huge bets of the golf tournament, and as well as the 5K run while leading into the spring game. Wow, that is a lot. A lot going on, a lot of events, and uh, we hope that you, the listeners, can make it out to as many events as possible, especially that spring game. That's what I'm looking forward to. Hopefully that will be right out. All right. Well, we will be back after this. I come from a family of educators, and they all graduated and received their degree here at Jackson State University. Jackson State has given me all the tools that I need to succeed in life. 
even after the class hours, my teachers continue to mentor and motivate me. Jackson State University has taught me to remain humble and go back within my community and make a change. I am Roosevelt Hawkins, senior in the College of Liberal Arts here at Jackson State University. All right, welcome back to Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club. We are having a roundtable discussion on the landscape of recruiting. But before we get back to that, we have some more exciting announcements. Uh, Mike B. Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, uh, more kudos for JSU. The University of Communications at Jackson State University was recently awarded three, three golden honors during the seventh annual Education Digital Marketing Awards. Sponsored by the Higher Education Marketing Report, it is a competition with dozens of colleges, universities, and secondary schools nationwide. JSU also earned two silver honors as well as a merit recognition. EDM recognizes the best educational websites, digital content, electronic communications, mobile media, and social media. Judges consisted of a panel of higher education marketers, advertising creative directors, and other marketing and advertising professionals. Now, here are some of the awards that JSU won here. Uh, we picked up a silver award for uh, microsite in the category of microsite for the homecoming website. We picked up a gold award in the category of online publication for the Jacksonian website. We picked up a gold award in the category of blog site for the people of JSU website. I really enjoy that one. And we also picked up a gold award for digital short video for the new JSU commercial, uh, Mad Genius. So hats off to JSU um, University Communication Department. Good job. All right. That is uh, good stuff. Impressive. And uh, ironically, you guys remember on the first episode when we were talking about New Year's resolutions? And that was one of Jay Boone's resolutions. You guys remember right, that? Right. Right. So, wow. I hope you're listening, Jay Boone. You got, you okay. got what you asked for, though. Awesome. <laughs> great stuff. Yeah. And we also have some uh, some other news regarding a, a preseason award for one of our Lady Tigers. Charles, who is that? Okay, the Lady Tigers, Kayla Owens. She was selected as a SWAC second team all-conference as a pitcher after a stellar 29 campaign for Jackson State. The junior finished with a 4.21 ERA, giving up only 65 runs on 581 batters. Uh, she finished with a record of 10 and 13 while pitching 14 complete games. Check this out, guys. The California native, she also uh, allowed uh, opponent batting average of 291, giving up 172 hits, 88 strikeouts. So the Lady Tigers, uh, they're coming off a of 13 and 36 uh, campaign, 2019, 7-11 in the SWAC, and they will be ch- trying to chase down the defending SWAC softball champion Alabama State Hornets as they were selected as a favorite for the Eastern Division, while Texas Southern is projected to claim the SWAC West. So uh, kudos to Kayla Owens, and she was selected uh, to the second team uh, softball, all uh, all SWAC team. Mm -hmm. Good job, Kayla, and let's go Lady Tigers. And last but not least, we have some very exciting news that a lot of people have uh, probably been hoping for, wishing for, and waiting on. So, Vic, can you let us know? Yes, sir. Um, in the summer of 2017, we were informed that the men's and women's golf programs were going to be discontinued at Jackson State. Uh, well, I have a, a very reliable source that uh, back that in 2022, that both men and women's golf will be back. Um, and it's good for us because when it comes to men's golf, we had won at one time 18 straight championships in 20 out of 21. And our women's program had won nine championships. So it's, it's great to have those programs back soon. 
that is amazing. No doubt about it. Now, do you guys think, uh, you know, we'll be able to get golf back to where it was? Is that going to be a process or, you know, once we reinstate the program? Oh, can we get close? I, I think it's always a process. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's always a process. It's a process, but it depends on how bad we want it. <laughs> right. All right, well, did you hear that, Mr. Ken Clark? Because on yesterday we recorded, and uh, he was talking about some of the programs, and he said uh, golf uh, by mistake. <laughs> I, yeah. I wanted to tell him then because I knew I knew I already had the you know word I already got the word from Vic, but I wanted Vic to be able to announce it. So Ken Clark, did you hear that? Golf will be returning. Maybe Ken spoke it into existence. There you go. All right. Did he miss the swag so- championship in football and basketball too? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't have that crystal ball. All right, right. All right. So fellas, let's get back to the re- recruiting discussion. Now, this is something that I've you know I've been I've had on my mind because. You know, if you guys follow the, the news or the sports within the state of Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss just picked up two, uh, I'll say big-name college coaches, uh, obviously Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and, and Mike Leach at Mississippi State. So, uh, yeah, I think we, we can acknowledge that we aren't competing directly with Ole Miss or Mississippi State for, for players. Uh, but how does having those two guys, Kiffin and Leach, uh, affect in-state recruiting as far as how it trickles down to us? Um. I think it – well, oh, go ahead, Charles. No, I, I mean, I think everybody knows that uh, Lane Kiffin is a is a well, well-known uh, recruiter. Uh, and to me, I think it goes back to what we were saying, uh, especially with regards to the, uh, the population of Mississippi. There are not enough players to go around. And then you have the number of tremendous JUCOs. So I don't, I don't know if it directly affects uh, Jackson State uh, in that – uh, I think in a lot of ways, our competition is coming indirectly uh, trying to uh, face off of Mississippi State and Ole Miss for guys that are, you know, going to JUCO and still trying to chase uh, down that Power Five dream. So, uh, to me, that's where the real challenge of recruiting at Jackson State comes in. Yeah, yeah Charles, I agree that it doesn't, you know, directly affect what we do at Jackson State, but I think it does indirectly. Because you have the the top kids in Mississippi, they're going to be, you know, going to these SEC schools. So if Ole Miss and Mississippi State can hit on those kids and keep those kids from from going to LSU and the Alabamas and the Clemson's of the world, then they don't have to go to their Plan B guys. Now, their Plan B guys have offers from schools like USM, Tulane, you know, Conference USA. Now, when, mm-hmm. when Ole Miss and Mississippi State talk, start taking guys from USM, USM has to start taking guys that we would have a shot at. So I think it, it, it's, it's a trickle down effect. It's a, a domino effect. It's a trickle down effect. Now, mm-hmm. um, it's not as uh, indirectly impacted as it used to be. At one time, we could go and we can go to Shucklock, Mississippi and get us a stud linebacker. We can go to Indianapolis and get mm-hmm. us a quarterback. But, you know, now with Huddle and Twitter, Twitter and social media accounts, it, these kids can showcase themselves and market themselves to the entire nation. So, uh, so we're not just uh, competing with with these kids. These kids growing up on these dirt roads. We're not just competing with Alcorn the Valley. Now we're competing with you know Idaho State or whoever right. might you know see this kid on huddle and say, "Hey, let's let's see what's going on down here in Sugarloaf, Mississippi." So, uh, but all in all, it, it still does um, indirectly impact us a pretty good deal. So hopefully. Um, uh, Leach and, and Kiffin, they hit on these players and we can round up some of these kids in Mississippi. 
Gotcha. So, and then you kind of answered, I think you answered my next question. I was going to ask you as far as recruiting wise. So would you say, are we Jackson state better off uh, from a recruiting standpoint when Ole Miss and Mississippi state, when they're upper echelon SEC programs, when they're top 15 nationally and, and they're competing for those four and five star kids uh, as it relates to, you know, how, again, how it funnels down. So you think, so are we, are we, are we rooting for them to be national powerhouse? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what every four five years or so? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, are we rooting for them to, uh, you know, not go to their quote unquote plan? <laughs> oh, we're keeping our fingers crossed, hoping that they can stay relevant nationally. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hope they continue to recruit yeah, that yeah, That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, what about uh, you know, as far as us recruiting? Well, what are the what would you say are the HBCU strongholds outside of Mississippi, and then how do we stack up? And I'm talking about cities, you know, states, areas outside of Mississippi that are strongholds mm-hmm. for HBCU recruit. And how do we stack up against our competitors traditionally as well, and also currently in those areas? Well, I think Dallas definitely is is one area that I think we've started to try to get back uh, uh, towards. But uh, Dallas and Houston, of course, you know, Texas high school football is, uh, gosh, I mean, it is so huge. And there is just a, a stockpile of players uh, in, in Dallas and Houston especially. But I know without a doubt those are two schools I'm sorry, two cities uh, that are, are full of, of HBCU guys who are kids who want to go to HBCUs, uh, in addition uh, to uh, Houston, Dallas. But I think Atlanta is another area where, uh, you know, that, that Atlanta metro area is another huge, huge HBCU hotspot. I think one area that I like, I, I, I agree with that, Charles, uh, you know, Atlanta, uh, the, the Texas schools, you know, the way you talk about Texas, you, you swear you live there. But, uh, <laughs> but in addition to uh, the Dallas Metro, Atlanta Metro, I've always loved what we've been able to do in Mobile, Alabama. When we go to South Alabama, mm. oh yeah, you know, talking yeah. about Viger, you know, uh, Blunt, uh, Lafleur, these these schools yeah. down there, we can go back decades uh, with the pipeline we have there and the, the, the players that we brought out of those areas, uh, Hall of Famers, you know, all the way down to all swag mm-hmm. to, to guys on the team. Now you're looking at like a. Keyshawn Harper, these guys. Right. And uh, so we still continue to hit those areas pretty hard. Uh, South Alabama has an emerging program. So that's going to make a, a little bit more of a challenge for us. But we've always been able to go to Mobile and, and get some pretty good players out of there. So no doubt about it. Now, are, are there any additional areas, regions that, you know, we haven't typically uh, you know, ventured into or, or done well that you'd like to see us do a better job of recruiting and establishing possibly a pipeline? Um, Mike Coria. Florida right now. I, I think that we, Florida neglected Florida for a long time, uh, and I think that now it looks like we're starting to look that way, and, I, and I'm happy to see that. Coach Brady, I'll give him a lot of credit. I know he has some ties over here playing at uh, – and I say over here because I'm in Florida. I played at the uh, University of Florida, and, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I probably should ask Ken Clark. He's an expert, but I want to say Brady was uh, partly – I'll say at least partly responsible for getting uh, Kimo Clark over, obviously, from Ocala, Florida. So I, I agree with you. We, you know, it's a lot of speed, a lot of talent in the state of Florida. So anytime we could get a kid over here, chances are we will we'll have a good player. Yeah, I think, like you mentioned, Florida is one of those uh, new emerging areas that uh, has uh, kids who want to come to HBCUs. I, I think if you look at the rise of certain schools uh, uh, around the swag. 
uh, they really went and hit Florida really, really hard. You looked up and down the roster, and it was full of Florida kids. So uh, that is a sort of an emerging area that uh, we have to start paying attention even more so to. Indeed. So let me ask you guys this. Okay, so when you see the success of a, Bro- a Broderick Fives, a, a Willie Simmons, speaking of Florida, uh, Sam Washington, guys who seemingly come in and immediately reinvent the culture uh, at, that, at that program with success. How much pressure is there on a Jackson State coach to, to win, to produce, especially, you know, when the wins aren't coming right away? Guys, you, you know our fan base well. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Mike Thomas said it best. The standard is the standard. I mean, the reality of it is uh, – at Jackson State, fans expect for you to play for championships. So I, I'm sorry. That's 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 sort of the culture that you uh, ask to be a part of. It is what it is. And I'm extremely proud of that culture. The standard is the standard. Jackson State, we our fans expect for us to be in the SWAT championship. Yeah, I think you named some pretty good examples uh, with uh, Coach Washington, Fives, and Simmons because really – those three coaches came in in three different situations. Um, Coach Washington pretty much took over a program that was already winning, and he just kept riding that wave. And that's a good thing because sometimes that, that doesn't always happen. You have a coaching search and uh, change, and, and you can lose the whole program right in that. Um, Coach Bob took over a program that was rock bottom and turned it right back around like nothing had happened, you know? Yeah. Um, Simmons yeah. had a program that it was, I guess it was average, but what we've seen him do is sort of build it up from, from the ground in, in, in one or two years. So I think that the Simmons model is really what we're looking for at Jackson State a little bit more because I think that we have all the pieces. It's just that we're looking for the coach to put all those pieces together and, and turn those into wins. Mm. So what about the fan base as far as remaining patient? Because we hear all the time it takes time to – build a program so is it possible for a JSU fan to remain patient or better yet how patient should the fans be you know when, when should that patience run out hey uh, Corey you know let, let's be real it's, it's <laughs> been it's been several years now we, we 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 have had no choice but to be patient um, now is the time to be impatient and even without that we're always an impatient fan base like like Charles said the standards are standard we expect to win and we should not compromise that for for any coach, for any administration, we are who we are. We have what we expect. So, you know, the coach that comes in is going to have to understand that that this 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 is expectation. So you have to win X amount of games. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, in in a previous episode, uh, this is the swag. So we can turn this thing around pretty quickly. It's not like we have to be at rock bottom. Um, I'm pretty sure that uh, Coach Hendrick. Can can he has a teller on his team to turn his team around uh, next year and, and be capable of winning seven or eight games? You know, it's possible, and it's possible for any coach. We are, you know, I've never really seen us at a point where I looked at the the names on our roster and players on our roster versus the players on other rosters and said, uh, "It's no way we can win," you know, four or five games this year. Right. So, yeah. you know, the, yeah. uh, the the opportunities mm-hmm. are there. We, we just got to take advantage of it. But no, we should not. We should not compromise our impatience for anyone. Yeah, and and the and the bottom line is it's been we haven't won the swag since two thousand and seven. So uh, I guess ebonically speaking, it ain't no patience. Right now it's time to win. You know, uh, because when you when you when you when you start to look at it, if we don't get this thing right soon, 
we're going to be going on eight, nine, ten years of utility. And when you when you start doing that, you can you can almost lose program, lose the fan base, lose interest. You know, we can't keep riding on what we've done, but you know, but 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 for so long, you know, uh, we did see see some programs go down, and we just mentioned those programs. A and T was down very low a couple of years ago. Rock, fam, uh, was down. Yeah. You know, so those so those are those that's and Grambling was down. So uh, so there is proof that we could turn this thing around, but. You have to, but 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 we've been down probably going on as long as any of those programs have, and I and I think that we got to turn that around quickly. Uh, Dick, I think you hit on something there uh, because uh, we're we're definitively within a SWAC championship generation now. I mean, there there are fans who follow Jackson State who don't know the the success and the tradition of the eighties, nineties, and you know for them. You know, uh, Casey Terrio is the best thing they've ever seen. Right. You know, they, they've grown up in the SWAG championship era. Uh, and uh, if you told me back when the SWAG championship started in 1999 that uh, we would have only had four appearances and, and I, I think one SWAG championship, we haven't won it since 2007, I would have giggled at you. Right. But, you know, it, the reality of it is, uh, I think patience is, is that's a kind of a relative something. Because, ask for at this point because uh, you know uh, the fan base they, they come out in droves and they have an expectation that you get back to where we want to live. Alright well there you have it you know and you know you mentioned AT&T being down at one point and, and look at them now and in the words of Charles Bishop what a time it is to be an Aggie. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a time it is to be an Aggie man. <laughs> uh, they can do it so can we so in a year or two we, somebody better be saying what a time it is to be a Jackson State Tiger. Looking forward to it. I think it'll come back. I think it will come back. So. Uh, absolutely. So I have another question for you guys. To, to me, it seems that in, in recent years, there's been an upswing in star-rated recruits signing with HBCUs. I don't know if you guys have noticed that as well, but what do you attribute that to? Uh, for, for me, I think with the Celebration Bowl, uh, putting a, a, a huge spotlight on HBCU football, I mean, there is not a a, a bowl game that can. Uh, number one, it's the it's the first bowl game that kicks off bowl season, and it's on ABC. It's not on the uh, ESPN family of networks. It is on uh, over the air television. So I think when you have that sort of exposure, uh, you you can't help but uh, turn a few guys' heads, and we're starting to see that now. And and I think we're in a day and age of where. Uh, I think kids, they, they want to look at HBCUs a little bit more. Uh, on, you know, the political climate in the country is right. what it is. So I, I think you, you have kids now who kind of want that uh, quote-unquote security blanket. And in some cases, I think every, every place is unique. But I think the Celebration Bowl has been huge in terms of turning a lot of guys' heads back towards HBCUs. Yeah. And, Charles, you kind of touched on um... – you know, what, what I think is one of the reasons uh, more, you know, blue chip kids are looking our way. And that's because they're looking around, they're seeing the social injustices that are happening uh, on these campuses. Um, they heard about what happened in Missouri. You know, they hear about the, you know, Confederate parades that go on in some of these um, community campuses. They see the statues. Um, so they, they, they see what's going on. So they want to come to um, HBCU or at least consider that because, it is always represented a safe haven or a safe space for um for our children. Mm. So a lot of them are aware of that. And mm. 
in addition to that, a lot of them, their parents went to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. So they're aware of the camaraderie and, and the pageantry. You know, as Jay Walker says, the, the pageantry, I like when he says that. Mm-hmm. They're aware of the pageantry that comes along with mm-hmm. the black college football, the bands, the atmosphere, you know, being on the yard on the Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon and, you know, the Greek life and, and everything. So uh, a lot of kids are drawn to that. But on the same hand, we have to be ready to uh, receive that. We have to have the infrastructure and the provisions in place to uh make them sign on a dotted line and not just, you know, come on an official visit. So we have, we have to take the next step uh, as a program. Indeed. And one, yeah, one, thing that's I was, one thing I was thinking, you know, I don't know if you guys would agree, but do you think that there's been just an upgrade in, in the quality of coaches around specifically the SWAC in recent years? To, to me, I think it kind of started with Hopson when Hopson came into the conference. I think that that just opened a lot of the other schools eyes as far as, you know, having a head coach, you know, upgrading in that department and, and then we talk about Willie Simmons and other other guys. So do you think that that's, that's led to better recruiting as well? Well, uh, you can't argue with the success. You know, uh, Jay Hobson, and, and, you know, I don't think Fred Manair gets uh, enough success, but he's kept that program uh, right there at the top. You know, Roderick Fobbs, I, I just take a look at where he took Gremlin. I mean, they were, you know, at, at, in the doldrums and he flipped it around. So I think that's a very interesting point that you make in terms of uh, the quality of coaching. Uh, We've seen it around the conference now that uh, it's gotten uh, much, much better, and you see a better quality product on the field year in, year out. Indeed. And for us to have that quality product that that we want to have, what are your thoughts on, on closing that gap between us and some of those top echelon HBCU programs? Does it start with recruiting or what is it? It definitely starts with recruiting, but from what I've seen, uh, to me, it starts definitively in the trenches. Uh, I take a look at the SWAC teams that have gone to uh, the Celebration Bowl, and the one common denominator with either or was either they had an extremely good offensive line, I think uh, Gramlin rode their defensive line for the two years that they right. went to the Celebration Bowl. But to me, it starts right there in the trenches. Well, there you have it, fellas. I really enjoyed the roundtable discussion, and I look forward to signing day. That'll do it for this episode of Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club. Thank you to all of our listeners. And again, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast and rate and review the shows. Everyone follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook and leave a comment or question while you're at it and we'll be sure to read it on air. I can't stress the importance of this enough. We're looking to do big things with this platform to aid the athletic department and it all starts with you. Downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show. And tell every Tiger that you know. We're on all podcast outlets, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. And we'll be posting every episode on our Facebook page as well. As always, thank you for the support. And on that note, go Tigers.